good morning everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and of course it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up of course, second Sunday of the month and particularly on Mother's Day we have Graham Sargent in here from Silky's Rose Garden in Clombinone. Morning Graham. Good morning Pam and good morning everybody out there in listening land. Hey, rain is coming in Melbourne. It's I bet, wonderful. I bet you're all still in bed. <laughs> They should be out doing a rain dance to yeah, keep yeah. it going. Yeah, fantastic, isn't it? The, the rain. And there's a fair bit on the way. So, and people up our way are starting to um, sow crops. They're turning turning paddocks over, which is really good. Excellent. Yeah, with moisture about. Yep, mm. that's a sign of optimism. Yes, excellent. Perfect. Perfect. Mm. And uh, Graham, of course, we can't get past Mother's Day without thinking roses. No, no, it's been um, reasonably busy with with the roses for Mother's Day. And um, Dinah's still sending roses off in the mail. Right. Um, and also all all over Australia now. Wow. Oh, well, I'm sorry, except for Western Australia, but yeah. yeah. Anyway, they've got their own supply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's also um, it's also virtually time for bare-rooted roses, isn't it? Yes, yes. So and people can um, put in orders now? Yeah, um, <laughs> we're looking at, at the figures on last year. Our, our numbers have doubled. In, on last year. Really? But um, to call a spade a spade, there's probably in the last um, eight years about um, 50% of rose growers in Australia gone, which is um, rather an interesting mm. phenomenon. Gee. Mm. Smaller backyards, I, I believe, has played a, uh, played a um, big part. But us rose growers now need to really seriously look at getting our act into gear with disease-resistant roses. And that's happening. My friend in South Africa, Ludwig Tetchener, who has a trial garden of over 250 roses, um, goes through the garden now ruthlessly, pulls out anything with black spot and mildew, and he said, I chuck it straight in the chip. It's <coughs> gone. Mm. Right. And all our roses that come into Australia from overseas come via South Africa. Mm. Which okay. is, um, anyway, the revolution's happened. Yep. Or yep. beginning to happen. It happened with the flower carpet, which has mm. been fantastic. And it's a very, very healthy rose. And the seven in the series are very healthy. So that's good. Mm. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. We also have to say a very good morning to Virginia. Haywood, morning, Virginia. I am also absolutely thrilled with this rain. I actually had the hose out yesterday in the garden. It was so dry yesterday. So dry. Yep. And yep. it's so hot for this time of year. I mean, my birthday is in May. And my, my childhood memory was that it was always raining and cold on my birthday. Well, this May has been no rain and as warm as warm. It's been mm. gorgeous, except yep. that it's inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> and the plants know it too. I've got things in flower that are spring flowering. Yep. They just shouldn't be in flower. No. It's ridiculous. I've got geranium madarents in flower. Right. Wow. <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. The so trouble is, the trouble is, when, when we do eventually get a cold snap and a, and a frost, bang, bang. Some of those will go. Exactly, mm-hmm. yes. But never mind. <laughs> Enjoy it while it lasts. Yes, yes. Well, <laughs> rain. I mean, it's, it's funny. I had some English friends over recently, and, or actually ages ago, and it was during summer and it rained, and I was so excited. And she turned around and said to me, well, you certainly don't come from London anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it is the difference. When you're a Brit, you don't like the rain. When, yep. you're, a, when you're from southern Australia, you, you adore love it. it. 
<laughs> we also have to say a very good morning to James Beatty. Morning, James. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everyone. Uh, and, um, yeah, I believe uh, Gardening Australia has been nominated for the Logies tonight. Yes, oh, we're, we're, we're planning a bit of a party tonight, actually, over one of our producers' houses. We're, we've been nominated for a Logie for the first time in 27 years, which I think is is kind of proof enough that we are actually going to win. Um, you know, So I'm, I've, I've been optimistic, and everyone else in the office is saying, oh, no, no, don't get your hopes up, but... Um, I think after 27 years, if you finally get nominated for it's for best lifestyle program, um, I think that's um, sign enough that uh, that we are going to win tonight. So people should be watching with uh, great expectations. Well, well, James. If nothing else, it means that you're doing something right to even get nominated. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. So um, that in <coughs> itself is worth a celebration. Yeah, and the last couple of years there, there's been a there's been a real want to try and um, reinvigorate the show and bring a few um, fresh new segments to it as well and make it a bit more fun. Um, and like the Brady Bunch two weeks ago. Oh, that's that's just a bit of you know a bit of a bit of fun fun naff I reckon. Very um, naff. <laughs> But it was a way. It was a way for us to try and get more of the the do it now message back into the show, mm-hmm. and couple it with um, with the, the the different climate zones around Australia. So, it's it's advice. It's it's advice based on what presenters are doing in their gardens that weekend at that time of year. So, you know, I think some of the information on the show has improved because. It was not that long ago a show mm-hmm. only for g- beginner gardeners. Yeah, it's look, and it's it's a hard thing to satisfy to satisfy everyone in that regard, and and I think I think I think the basic gardening information is really really important to get out there. Um, but it's also it's also important to satisfy the diehard gardeners as well. Well, you know? last night they had the iachroma on, and I thought, oh, thank God, an unusual plant. Mm. I do not need to look at just endless vegetables. Yeah, I would right, like. I right. mean, I grow iachroma. It's not something yep. I don't know, but it still it's still is nice plant. to have something that's unu- that's not that easy to find in mm. the trade. That's mm. interesting. Absolutely, absolutely. And there has been a lack of that in the show for the last couple of years. I think it's. I think it just kind of bellied the bellied the growth in popularity of vegetable gardening um, and and I, I am of the of the opinion that um, there was such a swing in the horticultural media towards vegetable cultivation at the expense of flowers but looking at it from an ecological perspective flowers are actually really important as well and we as gardeners uh, know that and, and are across that um, but uh, you can't uh, have a good vegetable garden without flowers. No, that's, no, exactly, that's exactly. exactly right. So I think I think that that um, that that wider ecological message is definitely getting out there now, and people I love are more that aware garden of it. She's doing in so- South Australia. I think it's lovely. Sophie's place, mm. yeah, it's gorgeous, isn't it? She's a she's a fantastic gardener. Yeah, I had the mm. I had the pleasure to go away to uh, Panola with her a few weeks ago. We spent a week in Panola shooting um, two two stories. One very large country garden, just absolutely beautiful. Um, one of the one of the feature plants in it for me was um, one of the few truly deciduous conifers, Taxodium disticum. Ah, oh, lovely swamp cypress, mm. and it it, it uh, grows these uh, aerial roots. They look like knobbly knees that pop up um, from the ground. Right, um, and. Uh, the the gardeners John and Sue's War their names are and the garden's name is Camerwold. Um, John John loves mowing the lawns around the place um, and and he he very early on started mowing the aerial roots of the taxodium that came up in the lawn because um, he just couldn't abide couldn't you know, couldn't abide and growing the lawn very much ruining the effect but the consequence of mowing it for twenty years means that there are these there are now these mown stepping stones which are the taxodium aerial roots in the lawn themselves and 
It's one of the most fantastic garden features I've Where ever seen. Is in South Australia? <coughs> it's in the Coonawarra, so okay. it, it, about, about 10 minutes north of Panola um, and very much in the middle of wine country. When, when John and Sue started the garden, um, there, were, there were no vineyards around them at all. Now they're completely surrounded by them. And is, um, are these taxodium planted in damp spots? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a funny area. Um, the whole limestone coast area, once upon a time, um, there, was, there was a lot of standing water in winter, um, but ever since uh, uh, viticulture has moved into the area and lots of people have tapped into the groundwater, mm. it's lowered the water table, so you don't get much of that standing water around anymore. Um, but for the first 20 years of this taxodium's life, I think it was definitely like that because it's healthy and mm. you know looking great and when we were filming the garden it was in in its full autumn glory mm. um, just there's some beautiful gorgeous. taxodiums in the botanic garden here right right yeah absolutely well yeah. the Soise garden I, I believe has a, a, an amazing rose garden it in the does. whole place absolutely. and if you, if you go to Panola you'll see the effects of their flood mitigation um, um, uh, setups around the town, which are pumps. Okay. And we get our roses grown at Panola, mm-hmm. and in in that good Ryan Wagner's place. Ryan, yeah. yeah, Ryan Wagner. Yep. And um, and he also has said exactly what you've said. The water table has definitely dropped in that area. Mm. Uh, but it, it's still um still a great place for growing things. Mm-hmm. Tremendous. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's a gorgeous spot too. And Panola itself—it's such a darling little town. I really, yes. really, really love Amazing. it. It's, it's just, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, um, the the beautiful buildings and and a sense of history that you get. And of course, it was um, very, it's very much associated with Mary MacKillop as well. Um, and there's the Mary MacKillop Museum there, and which there is amazing, isn't it? The I museum I, I, is amazing. By the time we were finished shooting every day, I'd wander around hoping that it was still open, but it, but it wasn't, so I didn't actually get in to see yes, it. Um, yes. But uh, that'll, be, that'll have to be next time that I'm there. Yeah, that's uh, a real yeah. a drop back in history, mm. and it gives a real appreciation to uh, the average person to how people, when they first came to Australia, how they were real battlers, mm. Mm. really mm. battlers, and lived in slab. Um, Slab timber houses mm-hmm. and 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 you can understand why Mary McCullough was set up there because there was such a need in the community, mm. yeah. tremendous need in the community. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. we must get on with uh, a few community announcements. Uh, of course, things are quietening down now that uh, the weather. Well, I can't say the weather is changing, but now that we're getting towards um, officially, uh, we're in autumn and and winter's on the horizon, but. Uh, Never mind, the, uh, the weather doesn't know about that yet, so we won't tell it. Um, open gardens. Of course, today we do have a, a special open garden. It's only for today. Uh, this is Kluani, which is Anne Vale's garden. Uh, it is at 430 Coonwarra Inverloch Road in Coonwarra. Uh, it's open 10 till 430. Entry price is $8. Children under 18 are free. And this is a gracious 1890s house which uh, overlooks a delightful country garden featuring maples for autumn colour, ginkgos and a wide range of exotics. Now, it's open for the benefit of the Coonwara Village School. Devonshire teas will be provided by the Lee and Gather Lions Club from 10am. So uh, the address of that one, if you'd like to, uh, to get out into the countryside and have a look at a beautiful garden, 430 Coonwara, Inverloch Road in Coonwara. And, of course, this is uh, an open garden as part of Open Gardens Victoria. Now, Open Gardens Victoria are also running a cooking up compost um, 
a couple of sessions. Uh, and, of course, it was officially compost week this week. I don't know if anyone mm. got out there and turned yes. their compost or <laughs> decided that they were finally going to set up a compost. It's uh, a good time of year to have compost week with all those autumn leaves around. Absolutely, yes. I've got, I've got a million... <laughs> Yes, that's still to come. Yes, after, ga- it's just a carpet of autumn leaves at my place at the moment. It's amazing. Gather up the leaves and, and in, in, the, in the inner suburbs of Melbourne, don't burn don't in heaps. Don't burn them. Whatever no, do. don't burn in heaps. Oh. I mean, it's such valuable. I oh. mean, even if you just put it on your garden beds as mm. mulch, it's mm. fantastic. Mm. It really yeah. is. Anyway, there's, uh, as I say, there's two workshops coming up uh, under the auspices of Open Gardens Victoria. Uh, these are both held in East Geelong at 478 Ryrie Street in East Geelong. Now, the date for them is Saturday the 28th of May. There'll be two sessions, one 9.30 till 12, and the second session, one thirty till 4. Now, the ticket price is $30, but that includes morning or afternoon tea and also composting notes. Uh, now, the easiest way to book is to go online to the website which is Open Gardens uh, Victoria, or one word, .org.au, and uh, you can uh, click on the booking line there for one of those compost workshops. Now, also, I've mentioned the last couple of weeks, Norgate's Plant Farm is closing down. They are having uh, a big plant sale, perennial plants, um, heavily discounted, uh, but it's only open at certain times and dates. So to find out when their, uh, one of their plant sales is on, uh, the phone number is 54241787 and uh, Norgates is up at 17 Blue Creek Road, Newbury. But you do have to uh, phone that number because it won't be open apart from opening up specially for some of these closing down plant sales. So that phone number again is 54. 54- Now, coming up next Tuesday, which is 10th of May, there is a community meeting. It's entitled Trees, Parks and Greenery, Open Space in Brunswick. And uh, this has been brought about because of all the new apartments being built in Brunswick. And uh, it's, it's a community meeting to discuss what people can do to create more green and open space in the neighbourhood. Speakers will include Communities for Nature, local residents and Alex English, who's Open Space Planner for Moreland Council. Now, it's being held at St Ambrose Community Centre, which is at 287 Brunswick Road in Brunswick, sorry, Sydney Road in Brunswick, 287 Sydney Road in Brunswick. The time is 6.30 through till 8 o'clock. Well, they would certainly need some awareness in Brunswick because it's becoming like New York. Mm. There's that many multi-storey <laughs> buildings getting getting thrown up in that area. It's just amazing what's happened, the revolution in the and, last five, and five years. And it's so mm. important to keep yeah. those green spaces, yes. particularly in our, in our built-up inner mm. suburbs. Mm. Yep. Such a great thing for people to be agitating for as well, yep. you know, more green space in their area. Yeah, you know. yeah. And I must say, uh, having had um, dealings with, uh, with Moreland City Council, they are open to to that they're they're one of the one of the better one councils. of the better yeah, greener minded councils mm. so um yes i wish them all the luck with that community meeting and hopefully mm. there's a lot of good ideas and planning ideas come mm. out of that mm. 
Okay, Friends of Burnley Garden. Uh, then next uh, workshop is coming up. Uh, now, this is Saturday the 28th of May also, and they're inviting you to create a bee hotel with Lee Scott. Now, this is all about making a hotel for native bees, and uh, native bees, of course, we have uh, 1,500 species of native solitary bees. So they don't live in hives, but they nest and lay their young in hollow spaces. They're not aggressive, they're virtually stingless, and so it's a great thing to encourage them into the garden by making bee nesting boxes <coughs> or what they call bee hotels. So um, Lee will bring the materials required for a timber bee hotel. Uh, you will assemble the hotel and then fill it with suitable nesting materials. So there's no formula. You can create what you want. Um, so the details are, as I mentioned, Saturday 28th of May, taking place at Burnley College, which is at 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond, 10 a.m. through to 12.30 p.m., Cost for members of the Friends Group is $50. For non-members, $55. Now, that includes materials for the hotel, which is made of timber. But uh, participants will need to bring materials to decorate the bee rooms. They're filled with a range of garden materials cut to size, varying in diameter from 2 to 10 millimetres, such as bamboo, hollow sticks, or pieces of timber with holes drilled into it. Now, as well as bringing the, uh, the various materials for the bee rooms, you also need to bring your own secateurs. Bookings are essential. You can either book by emailing friends.burnley at gmail.com or you can telephone 9035 6815. That's 9035 6815. Five. That sounds like a great workshop. Yes. And um, I'm a big fan of native bees, actually. I, I put in a couple of uh, native bee poles that I made last year into my garden. And within a couple of months of putting them in, um, residents moved in, you know, pretty much straight away. It was quite exciting. And yeah. when you call it a pole, yep. what do you mean by that? Do you have oh, holes drilled in the side? Yeah. I used, um, I used railway sleepers as uprights for my front fence that I then strung wires between. Right. Um, and I had to buy big lengths and then cut them to size. So I used two of the offcuts to make, um, to make native bee poles that right. I then sunk into the ground. So basically I got, um, I got drill bits from, two to eight millimetres and, yep. and drilled patterns into the wood um, in a very stylized way. Um, and and they, they have turned out to be one of the best little bits of habitat that I've brought into my garden. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and I know that I've got leafcutter bees that have been using it um, to, to lay their larvae and I've seen them around the garden as well. Um, but I've got Where did you put the poles? I, it, it, that is very important as well because depending on what way they face will we'll kind of dictate the species of bees that you get. Really? Um, mine, are, mine are facing uh, east, so they're shaded from the afternoon sun. Yep. Um, and, and they are under the shade of a, of a tree, so they've got a bit of cover from the rain as well. Not that it rains in summer here, but um, I, you know, I, I wish it would, but that's a different matter. Um, but uh, so far I've, I've catalogued um, five or six species of bee in the front garden, native bee. 
um, and three of which are using the bee poles as habitat for, for laying their little larvae and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, and it's is it quite protected? Exciting. Is it very protected? It is, yeah. It's it's up against um, up against the the neighbour's fence as well. So there's there's a bit of wind protection as well as rain protection from the tree that's overhanging from the neighbour's place as well. Um, but yeah, the, the native bee habitats. It's I, I love the fact that there's this growing interest in it as well. Like yeah. like like you said, Pam, there are fifteen over fifteen hundred species yes. of native bee in Australia. It's just amazing, and yeah. most of us walk around the garden <laughs> aren't even aware of yeah, it. Yeah, it's exactly right. Yes, yeah, I've got yeah. the little ones with the blue. Oh, the blue banded. The blue banded. Mm, yes. They're gorgeous, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, and the way they move, they're so quick. I, I spent two or three days tracking one in the front garden, trying to get a decent photo of it, and I think I took about two thousand terrible ones to get one. <laughs> Good one, um, but yeah, they're they're beautiful things. We, we've got some uh, bat um, uh, harbors in our in our um, rose nursery, and um, we've put up about uh, nine of them. Right. And there are times when we walk out onto the back landing, uh, especially the night time, and you'll see the bats come come past you, and they're so quick. Mm. It's uh, and it's just a question of being awareness. And those mm. bat little bat the harbors, little ones. yeah. No, no, they're they're made of timber. No, the little bats on yes. the yeah, the little, not little, the big fruit bats. No, 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 the little lovely little critters. The, yeah. And we got those bat um, pens from um, Landcare. They supplied them to us. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they're actually really good for um, mosquito control as well. If you can yeah. encourage microbats into your garden, that's it. They can eat up to two or three hundred insects. Well, I don't know. I've got in an hour. I've got actually loads of microbats in all the trees oh, around yeah. our, our garden, but yeah. I've also got 50 million <laughs> mosquitoes, so I think there's too many mosquitoes for the bats to deal with. It's a bit like the foxes I've got down in the, in, in the creek at the bottom of my property, mm-hmm. and there's too many rabbits for the foxes. To, <laughs> the foxes are the most well-fed foxes, I'm sure, in the whole of Victoria. Yeah. And I think they're getting very sick of, of rabbits. rabbits on the <laughs> rabbit stew. Yeah, rabbit stew. I think they'd love a good chicken, but <laughs> I'm not giving them any. <laughs> I've only very occasionally seen bats at my place. I'd really like to get more. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. I should approach Lancet. Yeah, have a yarn with Lancet. They've got... They've had working bees making all these boxes. Yep. Yeah, which the, is really good. The La Trobe University, um, uh, they they make microbat boxes. You can go and you can go and buy them from there. Yeah. And it's a great little indigenous nursery too. And mm-hmm. the staff are fantastic and very helpful. Mm. But, um, La Trobe University is worth a walk around. Absolutely, it really is. There's oh, amazing God. native gardens there, mm. and and they've done a fantastic job. Mm. Just go and park your car in the, in the university and go for a walk. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an amazing place. Beautiful campus, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I have one last uh, announcement to make, and this is a workshop being run by uh, the Friends of uh, Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. This is their next workshop coming up, and it's entitled Fabulous Fungi. Now, this is one for the diaries as well. It's taking place on Saturday the 4th of June. It's an all-day workshop starting at 930 running through until 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It will take place at the Australian Garden Auditorium down at uh, the Royal Botanic Gardens there. Uh, And um, it's going to be all about uh, the various forms of fungi and and how they relate to, to our plants and our gardens. Now, speakers for the day include Dr Tom May. He's a senior mycologist from Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria. 
Dr. Nushka Rita, who's an orchid conservationist and botanist from Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria. Jeff Lay from the Field Naturalist Club of Victoria. Dr. Simone Luthwoff, who's an expert on lichens <coughs> and... Uh, and also uh, the Friends uh, member, John Thompson. Now, topics are going to include an overview of fungi, orchid-fungi relationships, fungi of Victoria lichens, uh, a cultural history of fungi, and on it goes. Now, the talks will be followed by a question and answer session with the panel of experts uh, before taking a walk around the Cranbourne bushland to forage for some fascinating fungi. Now, costs for members of the Friends Group, $60, non-members, $75, students, $30. And uh, you can get download a booking form uh, from the website, the uh, rbg.vic.gov.au, and follow the prompts through to the Friends Group and their activities. Or if you'd like to um, get further inquiries, you can phone Amy Ackers, and uh, the phone number is 0423-513-281. That's 0423-513-281. And what was the date of that again, please, Pam? Uh, the date of the that fourth. one is the yes, fourth the 4th fourth, fourth of June, which is Thank a Saturday. You. Thank you. Okay, well, it's more than time that we invited our listeners to join us this morning. If you'd like to ask a gardening question, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Let's make a start with some of your plants, Virginia. Well, I brought in, I, I brought in a, because I couldn't help myself, because it's so extraordinary at the moment, a whole lot of different forms of Salvia lucantha, the Mexican mm. sage. Mm. So I've got one that's incredibly blue, I've got one that's pink and white, I've got one that's pure white, and then I've got the old, the older form, but it is just purple, purple, purple. Yes. <laughs> and they're all in flower at the moment. My garden is just a wash with flower mm. and blown down branches. And um, it's just looking beautiful. And these Lucantha, which is the Mexican sage, are really interesting. The... The white one is a really, really clean shade of white. Very clean. White isn't a colour that I've grown a lot in my garden. I used to grow it when I was in, in England, but I've, I think sometimes the very harsh light here does encourage you to grow very strong coloured plants. Mm -hmm. But this white is such a clean white, it really um, sits well next to other colours and, oh, yes. and brings them out. And I'm, it's, it's called Velour White, and the one with the pink, which is white calyxes and pink petals, mm -hmm. is called Velour Pink. And they were both bred in Australia. That Velour Pink one is really quite gorgeous. The pink is almost incandescent. It's it? a lovely pink. Yeah, it's a very, very soft nice. pink, isn't mm. it? Yes. And the, in, in South Africa, they bred a white mischief and a Daniel's, I think it's Daniel's Dream, the pink one. But these two that I'm looking at here are bred in Australia, and I'm very pleased. I've got I'm spreading the white one all over the garden now. This very very blue one is um, Anthony Parker, and it's so big that I find it a bit of a problem, and I just have to chop it all <laughs> the way down, and then bang up it goes again. And I, I cut it down, and I find it's drowning something really, you know, quite yes, precious. Right. Can you chop them back through the year, Virginia? 
Yes, the trouble is it's really hard to chop hard when they're in flower and they're yeah. in flower for so long. Yeah, they are. They're really prolific, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. They just flower and flower and flower. Yeah, the same problem with Megan's Magic in my garden at this time yes. of year. Yes, yeah. well, Megan's Magic is another one that mm. has got leucanthus. Most of these have got leucanthus as a one parent mm. and Megan's Magic is... Um, mixture of Lucantha and mm. Anthony Parker. Oh, okay, right. So it's right. got two. And Anthony Parker is a mixture of Lucantha and Elegans. Right, okay. And, of course, there's another one, Santa Barbara, which is like Megan's Magic, and it's a bit smaller. So oh, I see. I'm, I'm yeah. me- I, sh- I should have yes. Santa Barbara by the sounds of it. A little, bit of Santa- <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of Santa Barbara is helpful. So, so they'll grow almost in any type of soil? Well, I've got them in... My hard, in fact, my top garden is just so difficult because the soil, for some reason, best known to itself, is completely compacted and mm. behaves like just pure clay. It's right at the very top of the hill. It's had pine trees on it for a hundred years. I don't know why it's so impossible, mm-hmm. but the day I see a worm in there, I will actually be pulling out the champagne. <laughs> <laughs> and I have, you know, I don't know how much poo I've put on it and how much. Um, I, every year I put heaps and heaps of mulch on it, trying to build the soil up. But nothing seems to ameliorate it at all. No. Nah, really, right? No. Nah, uh, but salvia lucantha. <laughs> it grows. Go to well. do yep, <laughs> I've got a, in fact, I've got a whole lot of salvias up there. I've mm. got um, generifolia, romantic rose, somnolensis, marine blue. They mm. all tend to grow up there. Mm. We've uh, got salvia, so salvia growing high. very well in our garden. Under a huge yellow yellow box tree, like I mean huge, mm. and you know, just say, mate, this this is just so hungry under under here, and we've got a, a variety of different colours that that you you can grow, and and it's very encouraging for people in in a tough garden. They can they will still grow from what I've mm. seen anyway. Mm. Yeah, and you've got you've got red clay soil, which is um, yes, I've got soil. that. Mm. And so and, in parts of my garden, the soil is absolutely wonderful, and mm-hmm. I can just stick something in, it'll immediately form roots. But mm. that top bit where that I've got lots of the leucanthus is, is really hard. Mm. And, and that then red soil drains off pretty well, doesn't it? Yes. And yeah, then and that's why bulbs grow so well mm. in that sort of country. Mm. Yeah. But then mm-hmm. it bakes in summer. Yeah. Which is okay. the other reason, of course, bulbs are so fabulous, because they go dormant. Yes. What could we want but dormant <laughs> things that are dormant <laughs> over February? Mm. Mm. Like dormancy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what else have you got there, Virginia? Well, this other one, which is another white, which in my garden at the moment is just looking fabulous, and it's Montanoa. It grows 12 foot a year. So I first saw it in the Botanic Gardens and thought, wow, that's amazing, I want it. And then I found it in Meg Bentley's garden. So took some cuttings from there, and I've now got two big, big... I have to say, I don't think this is appropriate for your garden, James. (laughs) (laughs) I grow things that are not appropriate for my garden either, so, you know. (laughs) Maybe maybe it is good. 12 12 foot a year. 12 foot a year. That's Virginia, huge. that's instant um, uh, windbreak or... Well, no, it's not. No, no there you go. No, you go. it's not windbreak because it's quite... It allows a it's lot of space. very open. It's very open mm-hmm. and it also snaps in the wind. Mm-hmm. It didn't like last weekend. Poor old Yarra Valley last weekend. Mm. I was locked out of my house for 36 hours. What? Because well, there was a tree over your front door? Or? No, there was a tree <laughs> over my street with live wires oh, down. Right. Oh, Our street was not considered to be a priority. Oh, now we've got Because it's a no-through road. Because it's a no-through road. So a no-through road, people can't get out. Everybody in my street has pumps, so no electricity means no water and no toilets, but we're still not a priority. Plus, we've got a number of people over 75 and over 80 in mm. the street, 
and nothing can get in, no ambulance can get. I mean, what counts as a priority? Meanwhile, they're beavering away to get Safeways going again. <laughs> Clearly a priority. <laughs> yes. It was just extraordinary. Mm. And, and the tree men, you know, they were there from first thing Sunday morning and they didn't get into the trees until um, 11 o'clock on Monday. Wow. Goodness. Because Osnet said that we weren't a priority, uh. which I just think is outrageous. I mean, what it, you know, people, they can't get out. Nobody planned for that storm, so people mm. didn't necessarily have enough drinking water. Mm. No, and didn't right. have the buckets for the loo. <laughs> anyway, don't start me. <laughs> <laughs> but the Montanoa didn't like the storm. Right. It, it does. I've got it planted on the south side of my house which gives it protection from that north wind, which is the most destructive, I find, back in the old days. So it'll happily grow in a bit of shade? Well, I've got it well to the south of the house. It is, but it doesn't get, it doesn't get a huge amount of sun. It, it mm-hmm. will grow in some shade. Yeah, okay, great. I mean, it must have some sun. It's a daisy. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's part of the Asteraceae family. It is a daisy. But it is, so now I've got it about, about 12 foot and spreading. It must spread another 12 foot. Yeah, mm. right. You know, getting in between other trees really is what yep. it's doing. Yep. But and these beautiful, beautiful flowers, just really, really white daisy with a very, very yellow centre. So they they stand out from mm. a long way away. Mm. And when it stops flowering, I'll cut it down to the ground. Mm-hmm. It's the only way to cope with the twelve foot year. <laughs> so do you find you have to you know Meg dig, dig, dig around it and stop it running, or it's it's generally pretty well, but well, well no, behaved, I or? haven't found it. I haven't found it running, but yeah, then okay, I haven't great. had it for very long. I'll tell you next year. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to take it. I had to do cuttings of it. I didn't do. I I couldn't dig up root from. Oh, okay. Meg, so yeah, I don't okay. think so. Right. And it's been in the botanic gardens. I haven't seen it there for a bit. Mm. It's um, very beautiful. And mm. um, I haven't seen it run there either, although they're very good gardeners, of course. And when do you cut it back? After it's flowered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's sort of my rule. Yes. Because I don't have a memory. It's any- a good rule of thumb. Yeah, I mm. don't have a memory anymore. So I've, there's one or two things that I know not to cut, mm-hmm. you know, that don't flower on new wood. But something like this, it's flowering on new wood. Mm-hmm. So take it down as as soon as it stops flowering. Mm. And the leaves are quite beautiful as well, aren't yes, they? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're like, um, they're, well, one, they're big. Big trident kind of yes. leaves, yeah. Yeah, and they do. They look a bit like a very, a tr- exactly like a trident, mm. actually. Yes. Mm. So I'm, I'm rather pleased with this. It's um, And it's more white. Mm-hmm. And it was easy to grow from cuttings? Those ones yeah. that you took, they struck yeah. pretty quickly? Yeah, yeah tr- Trident meaning triangle. Trident, as in a as in a fork. Fork. Oh right, okay. Mm. Trident. Yes, okay. but the leaf for those Think who of King Neptune. Yeah, I'm just trying to visualise <laughs> it for the for the listeners, you know. Yes, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's three pronged. The leaf is in three prongs. Right. Okay. Mm. And it is. It's it's so it's been an, an in, it is for somebody with the larger garden rather mm. than the smaller garden. Mm-hmm. But my garden's big. I, st- I don't have any room in it, and I have sworn I will not put in one more bed. No, that's a heap of flowers. I'm going to keep you to that. <laughs> Every time I go up to Virginia's garden, there's another bed. <laughs> and she said, why did I do that? <laughs> No well, more beds. <laughs> well, as we remind our customers, every plant you plant, you're helping the environment. Absolutely. You're an environmentalist. Absolutely. Yep. Yes, yes. yes. I, must, I must remind listeners, uh, <laughs> we'd love to hear from you this morning. Probably all the mums are sitting up in bed because they're not allowed to get out until the children have brought in the cup of tea and toast. But, be eating um, a very good breakfast in bed. But right I'm right sure now. if you've got the phone handy beside the bed, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is nine. 
419 Now this is the most striking plant, Virginia. This is extraordinary, isn't it? I found this in a friend's garden and she was getting rid of it, so I took a bit of it. And I'm not sure it was a good idea and I was worried it might be weedy, so I put it in my vegetable garden, which is sort of got um, a complete cover over it. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's a very dark leaf. The stem and the back of the leaf is purple and the flower is purple and the berries are deep, deep inky purple. I believe it is pokeweed. I think, which is phytolacca, mm-hmm. I think it is phytolacca icosandra. I don't actually perfectly know. Phytolacca, um, a couple of weeks ago I was in with um, Tim and Greg, and Tim was talking about changing trees, that diggers are very much changing the trees that they're growing because we're just getting hotter, and when you plant a tree, you plant it for 100 years, so to be planting you know, riparian trees or, or, or trees that need a lot of water mm-hmm. is probably just not wise. And mm-hmm. one of the things he said he particularly adores is the Argentine ombu. Now, that's a phytolacca. Mm. So, and this is a phytolacca. It's not a tree, although it grows. To, it's, it, it's another one. It's about, I suppose, it's six foot tall and about five foot wide. You're saying you put it in your vegetable garden. Is it edible at all? No. No. It's poisonous. Right. There you go. Mm. Yes, it's extremely and, not edible. And, <laughs> and, the, and the fruit is, is an amazing colour. You know, <laughs> that colour, which is a real deep port wine, mm. would be the, still the most popular rose that people want in that colour. And that's been the case over, over 30, 32 years of growing roses. Okay. And there, with that colour, there's an expectation that they will get perfume. Right. Yeah. Okay. And the guys really go for that colour. And and the colour on the leaf is, is really tremendously contrasting against things like, say, white in the garden, isn't oh, it? Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'd love to put this through the garden, but I don't dare until I actually establish its status. Mm. Yeah. When yeah, James, you were, you were saying that it has a weedy potential. Yeah, before we came on air, um, I, I did a bit of work in uh, the post-fire recovery, doing a bit of vegetation mapping and things up in King Lake National Park after Black Saturday. And we found quite a lot of it. I've always known it in the vernacular as inkweed um, for that for that colour on the berries. It stains quite quite heavily when you when you crush them. Um, and whenever we found it, we would bag it and take it with us. Um, and there there were quite a few bits and pieces coming up. I think I think birds are the main reason. Mm. It well, spreads. they spread the berries. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Which is why I've got it in the vegetable garden because it's a bird free area. Oh, okay, mm. right. Mm. That's very sensible. Yes. Mm. So you think it's? I'm surprised because it's a tropical fighter. Mm, mm. So I'm surprised it likes King Lake. I mean, mm. there's nothing tropical. No, about King Lake. absolutely. Um, but it, it is one that I've seen pop up in bushland around Melbourne quite a, quite a bit. Right. So yeah. it's obviously very adaptable. <coughs> Adaptable to different um, climates. Very much so. Yep. What so, so you could actually trim the trim the seed off, couldn't you, before they mm. really start to, to start to even drop? Mm-hmm. Well, it's I a bit like agapanthus. The same thing with that. Just trim the seeds off and well, chuck them in the rubbish tin. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. No, yeah. well, that's what I'll do. I'll because it is now very much going into um, seed. Yep. So I'll. Cut it right down. But that mm. venation on the leaf that you get is really it's quite beautiful, isn't it? It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. It's a very beautiful, striking. I think it's a really beautiful That's plant. That's a good word, venation. Mm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that? wouldn't it look good planted against that white? 
They're gorgeous. a very good match. That yes, Salvia yeah, white. Fantastic. That, absolutely yep. stunning. And they would get about yeah. a similar size, wouldn't mm. they? Yeah. No, this is bigger. Much bigger? Yeah, quite a bit bigger. But the, the salvia mm. could sit next to it just to bring out its purple. Mm. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting you say that the, the white... The white, uh, white iceberg roses, which are still, they're still immensely popular, mm. contrast amazingly against the, the Australian landscape and, and, and the background of you know, our browns and, and clay colours. And I believe that's one of the major reasons why people still love to grow it in their garden. Mm. Okay. And, and that contrasting against your wine colour here, mm. and this is, is also very um, pleasing to the eye. Mm. Yeah. Very Good combination. We must go to our first caller. We have uh, Miriam, who's out in Croydon online. Good morning, Miriam. Hello there. Um, just wanted to ask Graham what we should be doing with our roses at this point. There's still some have buds and flowers still. Some are defoliating. But if I go around and deadhead now, yes, um, will they sort of shoot new growth? Should I wait and then just prune in July? What what? your suggestions at this point in time. Where where do you live? Croydon. 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 Um, you, you could still uh, do deadheading, and um, roses have, have been known to flower even all the way through to June. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, yeah. if you'd like to do that, I believe that that would be okay. Right, okay. You're not subject to frost or anything like that where you are? Not. I don't think before. Occasionally we'll get one in maybe August or September, but... Yes. Um, no, yes. pretty good that way. Mm. Okay, so keep dead heading and then yes. prune in July. Yes, yeah, I'd leave it till July to prune. Yes, because there's still so much new growth on mm. the roses. Mm. Yes, that's right. Yeah, oh, the new shoots are still still really pushing away, so mm. ha- yes. take flowers and when you can. Got to look after indeed. the bees. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. And do some roses naturally defoliate? Yes, they do. I believe yeah. that that's what happens. Right, that, that, okay. that is a natural or normal process now of roses, and right. um, so the leaves. Even even if you keep healthy fungus in your garden by using um, natural fungicides like Eco Rose, then yeah. that'll encourage the good fungi. We we right. tend to think that all fungi is, is bad, but it's not. No. Oh, gosh, no, no. no. <coughs> mm-hmm. Good. Well, thank you very much. That's thank really you. helpful. Okay. okay. Bye. 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 Yes, I'm quite stunned by the number of new roses that are still popping up in my mm-hmm. garden. Mm. Just tells me it's too warm. <laughs> <laughs> that number again, if you'd like to join us this morning, we're running through until 9.15, so you've got an hour to jump online and give us a call, 94190155. That's 94190155. James, you've brought in some amazing produce this morning. Yes, yes, an embarrassment You've got an of riches. overload. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I planted some Jerusalem artichokes, um, and the tubers I planted were probably no bigger than the one I'm holding in my hand, which is about uh, thumb size. How many? I planted two or three um, at uh, the start of spring last year, and uh, they were supposedly dwarf. I got them from Jerry Colby-Williams in Queensland. Oh, yeah. He posted some down, and... Um, 
I, I was imagining I was imagining a dwarf Jerusalem artichoke might be, you know, three or four foot high and quite a cute thing to have in the vegetable garden. <laughs> You've learnt. Um, but uh, turns out the dwarf Jerusalem artichokes are only about a foot or two shorter than uh, you know, the, the straight species. Yep. Yeah, so, so they did tend to take over the garden to some extent and block out the light from some things. But look, from a, from a, a half a square metre space, um, I dug up about, I reckon, 20 to 30 kilos of them yesterday. Wow. Um, I sunk the spade in the ground and leave it up the soil and was surprised and also a bit, I've never, I, I've never felt so conflicted in my vegetable garden because I felt, I, I felt I should be feeling an immense sense of pleasure that I've gotten something so productive out of such a small space but there were so many of them that I was overwhelmed and just quietly a bit horrified that there were so many and I think what am I going to do with them all so look they do store well in the soil over winter um, so they're not the kind of thing that you have to dig up all at once um, you can except that you don't necessarily want them all to double in size again. No, that's exactly right. So you really have to get into them and dig them all up before spring comes. And um, I hate to tell you, but you're going to have a couple popping up. Oh, I know. You're yes, not going to get rid of yes. them all in one season. I, I spent I spent a good a good half an hour in in half a square meter of soil, digging it over and sifting it, and going going with, through with a soil sieve and trying to get out as many bits and pieces as I could. Yep. I think I've got most of them, but you are going to get them popping up. You are um, after you plant them again so yep. you know, I'll probably rue the day I grew them in the first place um, <laughs> but just immensely immensely productive so um, how tall did they grow they got the miniatures they got to about uh, eight foot yeah so they were they were very big they were they were much larger than I was expecting yeah and um, just for a point they of comparison been lovely in flower they were really really gorgeous they always flower really nicely beautiful blue <laughs> color the flower isn't it yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's really blue nice. that a lot of people love in their garden and mm. the the um, the the stems on the dwarf ones these ones um, I'd never seen them in Jerusalem artichokes before but the stems are almost a, a, a deep red color um, w- when they started to flower mm-hmm. so it was quite quite unusual yeah because yeah. um, the, the the species that aren't the supposed dwarf ones um, you know they they have a classic green you know classic green stem for for a Jerusalem artichoke but these ones had a bit of color to them and really quite nice um, but look I'm not sure I'm going to grow them again because um, <laughs> they did just tend to we take think over. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly how I'm feeling about my choco. <laughs> <laughs> whether well, you, want, whether you want to or not, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely coming out when I've finished harvesting, if I ever get to finish harvesting. But, um, yeah, I was, telling, I was telling James off air, <clears throat> I did actually um, have the fun of, um, because I'd, I'd harvested so many chocos, um, I did actually, uh, it inspired me to look up some of these um, uh, volunteer food co-ops, co-ops that are around Melbourne that, uh, that do run um, huge, big uh, mass production kitchens, uh, turning unwanted uh, produce into food for, for the homeless and for the unemployed. And so um, I'm happy to say that several big bags of my chocos were donated yesterday and they were, they were received with... with um, with great uh, thank yous, yeah, um, because of course it's all going to a good course, mm-hmm. and so I didn't feel quite so bad about my chocos after that. Have you got a decent choco recipe? Mm. Are you going to cook any of your chocos? Oh, I have, I have. Um, the the best one. So I've, I've I've 
tried them in curries because they do need a strong flavour. Um, but the best one I found so far was actually just cutting them in half, a um, little bit of spray of olive oil, um, a sprinkling of, of, well, quite a heavy sprinkling of black pepper and uh, lemon zest, and then I actually uh, baked them. I'd heard that you can bake them. Steaming them, you just... They become, they become just so bland, it's ridiculous. Mm. But I actually bake them because they hold their shape really well. They're unlike a zucchini in that um, a zucchini will go to mush, but a choco will hold its, its shape and its texture to a certain extent. And um, it meant that the outside uh, became a little bit crispy, mm. which was nice. And then just at the last minute, for the, fir- for the last couple of minutes, I just sprinkled the whole cut top with... Um, with uh, some diced up um, tasty cheese and bacon. Oh, yum. And, um, it's going to make anything taste good, isn't it? <laughs> it did. Well, that was Leathery the point. cheese and bacon is fantastic. <laughs> but the lemon zest also really yes. added in yep. that citrus kick that it really needed. I've so. never tried it myself, but I've heard that in South America, where they're a traditional vegetable, um, they're, they're just eaten raw with a little bit of sugar as a dessert. Um, but I've never tried it myself. Well, I've, I've, I've also, always been intrigued. Yeah, by I've, it. I've read that you can actually you can actually cook them and mash them and mm. then put them into cakes. Oh, right. Okay. So, um, so if you're wanting to err on the sweet side of mm-hmm. things, uh, I haven't tried that myself. I'm not a great cake eater. Mm-hmm. When I was young, I remember they used to say that our tin pears used to have chocos mixed in with them. Ah. Well, in fact, a lot of the recipes that I've read say you can use them as a substitute for apple mm-hmm. in a lot of recipes mm-hmm. as well. So maybe maybe if you're doing a roast pork, you could do some, some baked chocos mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to go alongside. So um, there's just a, another, you know, you could even maybe maybe hollow out the, the centre and, and stuff it with prunes and things like you would a baked apple to mm-hmm. go with a roast mm-hmm. pork or... Um, but anyway, food for thought. Definitely food for thought. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean that <laughs> Okay, on that note, we'll better go to our next caller. And we have uh, Coral, who's out in Lansfield. Good morning, Coral. Good morning. I just want to um, suggest that Gardening Australia, you know how you get the common old bulbs, 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 mm-hmm. and I'm a bulb and native person. Yep. And I just wondered, could, we, could you show us some flowers of rare bulbs? Don't have to tell us where to get them, but I'll look for them. But I just would love to see some different bulbs, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm probably the only one in Australia that wants it. <laughs> but, Not know, at I'd all. Love- yeah. Bulbs are wonderful. <laughs> We, we get a lot of um, we get a lot of viewers sending in pictures of the rare bulbs that they've grown as well. Um, and uh, we we post them on social media quite a lot. And when they're when they're well, look, we 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 are talking to a lot of growers in the Yarra Valley area who are growing some you know weird and wonderful and rare stuff. So um, oh, the, that's the, good. It, it just it, the things like that are going to go to air very late in the year, being spring flowering things. Um, yeah, so okay. we you know you'll probably see them going to air around um, October yeah. November. So yeah, right. but definitely look out for it. But um, I grew uh, a species tulip um, a couple of years ago, and it's it's one of the most easy to grow bulbs that I've ever that I've ever had. And and unlike a lot of bulbs, it doesn't become pot shy after a few years, and it and it is repeat flowering. And um, they're they're growing in number as well. But it's a tulipa montana, um, the Kurdish mountain tulip, and it's a it's a beautiful deep 
blood red um, and the flower itself only gets about the size of a golf ball, so it's quite small. Um, but during the day, they open right up and, and in the, in the center of the flower, it's got a beautiful, beautiful black, um, black coloring. And then at nighttime, it closes up again. Um, but just a, just a gorgeous little thing. And one of the things that I like the most about it is the foliage of it, um, is actually a real feature before it flowers. It's got it's, a stripe on it. It's, it, it does have a little bit of a, yeah. a little bit of a maroon coloring on the very, on the very mm-hmm. edge. And it's got, it's got a, it's got a very wavy leaf, like a very undulating leaf, um, oh, as it emerges. It's a gorgeous think, little thing. I think the species tulips <coughs> are the only tulips to grow. I agree. Because I agree. you don't have to do all this stuff about sticking them in the crisper. Yeah, yeah. Well, they just come up all the time, don't they? And Um, I've got um, one of those, I always call it myoporium, but that's not its proper name, goes all over the the ones I've got, Mm -hmm. and they all of a sudden has these little flowers just sitting up through it, and they're gorgeous. Mm -hmm. You You, you might try them at uh, Tesla's in the Dandenongs, uh, because I know the Teslas are always on the hunt for supplies of different types of bulbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, some years ago they came to our place because we were growing different sort of uh, species daffodils. Oh, great. Um, or you could try um, Hancock's at but Menzies the, Creek. But the best thing for you to do, if you're in Lansfield, mm-hmm. is you've got a fantastic rare bulb person just Go down, down the road. Go down to the guy in Romsey. In the guy yeah, in but Romsey. they're not in flower and I can't see them yet. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there a few times and but I've he has, from him. He does have photos of all of them, though, so he can tell has you he? what's coming. Yeah, He knows his bulb so well. That's Greg, for the, yeah, rest, for the listeners who are wondering who we're talking about. We're talking about Greg, who was on the show two, Greg Balderston. two weeks mm. ago, yeah. and he is based in Romsey, and he yeah. has just got an amazing collection of rare bulbs. Yeah, well, the first time I went there, it was just sort of started it's a couple of years ago. All right. And nearly everything was dormant and, you know, all. I didn't really know then. But well, I've I been back and I've bought other things, but I haven't bought bulbs. I mm. bought poppies and things. Well, you he's, know. I know he's got a lot of crocus in flower at the moment. Oh, well, I might call in. I suppose he's at a market this morning. But anyway, I'll have a look and I'll, when I see sign out, I'll nick in, in the day. Yes, do, because... Thank I, you. Keep growing your bulbs there in Lansfield. It's good bulb-growing yeah, country. Yeah, I know it is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I love them. Thank Graham, you. Okay, bye. Bye. Graham mentioned species... Um, Daffodils, one of my favourite species, daffodils, is Narcissus cyclaminius. Mm. Um, beautiful scent to it and those mm. wonderful little paired back petals to the flower. Yeah. It looks yeah. like it's in a hurry. Um, but they're incredibly expensive to buy. Um, yes. So I, I'm actually growing some from seed this year. Okay. Um, I'm gonna, it's going to be three years before I see a flower, at mm. least. <laughs> but um, but I, I sowed seed that was... I sowed seed that I'd bought the year before, and I had I had read quite extensively on how to do it and do it successfully, and and supposedly they are going to germinate better from fresh seed. So mm-hmm. you, should, you should sow seed basically as soon as the plant as soon produces as you get it. it. Yeah. yeah, but um, all of all of the seed that I sowed has germinated and is mm. growing quite oh, well. Oh, well done. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to that. And and with bulbs, we did this with some <laughs> daffodil bulbs, especially the miniatures, mm. and um, you can actually cut the the bulb up. So long as you leave a little piece of the root base on the base, yep. and we cut um, a number of bowls we got from Tasmania, mm. and um, they were they were a pink miniature uh, daffodil, which mm. was very rare. Yeah. Right. And we ended up after four years, we from one bowl we had thirty bulbs. Great. Goodness. You know, you you've got to be patient, mm-hmm. and we put the cut up bulb 
in um, some peat moss, mm-hmm. and of all things, we stuck it up in the ceiling of the house. <laughs> I don't know why we did that, but we did. <laughs> and um, we, you know, we we were successful. Yep. So long as you leave that little part of the root base on the bottom of the bowl, mm-hmm. and we used a, a, a scalpel, mm-hmm. a scalpel, and made sure that that was. Um, you know, sterile. Clean, yes. Yeah, clean. And um, it was, put them in plastic bags. You didn't use any fungicide to treat the bulb after you um, cut it? or? Oh, look, I'm a bit reluctant to say it. I think we might have used a bit of sulphur, but I'm yeah, a bit okay. more cautious with sulphur, though. It can right. be a bit too yep. <laughs> efficient in burning a lot mm. of things as well as the mm. fungus, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you keep a clean scalpel, it was quite good. A successful yeah. way to propagate a lot very quickly. Yes. Yeah, great. Mm. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm. Because, of course, seed is some of the only way you can get some of these things in. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Um, we're running through until 9.15 this morning as our usual time slot. Uh, in the studio this morning, we have Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm in Clondermain. Uh, Virginia Haywood, who's a guide at the Royal Botanic Gardens Melbourne, and James Beatty from ABC Gardening Australia. So if you'd uh, like to jump on the phone, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. That number is 94190155, James, you keep um, having all these plans for renovating your garden, and every time we talk to you, um, you know, something is happening. Yep. What's going on at the moment? And did did the shed come down? It absolutely did come down. Yahoo! Yes. Yeah. We, we had planned, um, I think the, uh, the, the point at which I realised it actually was going to happen was uh, the point at which you book a skip. Uh, <laughs> right. Okay, it's going to happen. So we we had we had a large shed that we've since chopped in half. So um, the backyard is is suddenly much airier and bigger than it was before. Um, and it's a it's a north facing backyard. So I am kind of busily doing a few drawings and things and figuring out what way I'm gonna I'm gonna redesign it to to make the most out of the space. Um, but a happy aside to the whole shed dismantling procedure was um, we found out that, because uh, we have an alleyway at the back of our house, All right. um, we found that someone had hit our back fence with a car or God knows what um, and actually damaged it quite badly. Um, and I looked at it and thought, oh, I'm going to have to try and fix it because it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down eventually because the damage was so extensive. Um, but the damage was so bad that we ended up talking to our insurance company and they're actually going to come and replace the fence and part of replacing the fence means that they're going to put a gate in in the back so oh it's give gonna, you access yeah yes. so i'm very very happy about that so it's going to make a, a, you know barrowing bring a, on the trailer lot. load yeah <laughs> just come dump stuff in the alleyway yeah so, fantastic yeah. so that'll be good i'm going to spend most of winter um up to my knees in dirt i think um um, busily redesigning the, the the back bit of the yard, which is which is good. It's we've been in our house about five years, right? Five or six years, and um, it's been something that I've been wanting to do ever since we moved in. So it's, well, it's if good you've to got all that extra light, happening. and if it's north facing, of course, Ooh, it's perfect yeah. for veggies. Yeah, it is absolutely. Yeah. So I'm I'm very excited about the next couple of months. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um, all that space from the Jerusalem artichokes going. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They'll, they'll be back though. I think. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things um, because the shed was on a very hefty slab um, 
I, I'm, I'm actually not going to pull up the slab for the portion of the shed that we took down. I'm actually just going to build garden beds directly on top of it. Okay. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, you know, of course f- there isn't. F- fill it with a bit of dirt and, you know, the worms will find their way, way into it and mm. it saves me a whole lot of back-breaking labour. Mm. Yes. Um, so, you know, and, and growing things like citrus in pots is, is very, very straightforward. So, you know, I'm, I'm just going to... I'm just going to work with what I have rather than hiring a jackhammer and trying to take the whole bloody thing up. And that's so. really sensible. Mm. Totally mm. sensible. Yeah. I, I recommend you don't get a jackhammer. Yeah. No. It's hard yakka. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to avoid that as much as I can, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. So it's all, it's all happening, really. Um, I was busy building a couple of uh, compost piles yesterday with the autumn leaves in the garden um, because we've got an ornamental grapevine and an ornamental pear that gives us an embarrassment of leaves this time of year. Um, And and only really got halfway through it before I kind of ran out of space and I'm going to have to build another 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 uh, area to to compost the rest of the things. Um, But just being in the space and and you know raking things up and looking at it from different angles you get a million different ideas with what you could do so it's going to be uh hard to keep my enthusiasm in check <laughs> <laughs> so how high will you make the beds that are on the concrete um i'm probably going to do them uh i'm i'm probably going to use red gum sleepers um so i'm probably looking at about uh, a foot or two high mm-hmm. yeah yeah which is which is all you need really um you know uh, you, you're not, not going to need anything much deeper to grow veggies, veggies. than that no so. they don't need it <clears throat> so it'll be it'll be yeah yeah Quite I, in, easy to build in one of my incarnations i lived in sydney for a long time and we I don't know why, but we always seem to be renting houses that were on concrete. Mm. The whole of Sydney seemed to be on concrete. <laughs> and we did a lot of that. Yeah, okay. Starting off with newspaper, doing a really thick layer of newspaper and then putting, um, so bringing in soil. Yep, yep. And, it, it, I mean, we did it for years. We grew all sorts of things. Mm, mm. It's a, it's a good way to save a whole lot of, you know, what would otherwise be backbreaking. Mm. <laughs> and also more stuff into the landfill. Mm, yeah, that's right. That's right. When I did, um, when I renovated my front garden, which I did a couple of years after moving in, um, we had some quite extensive concrete pathways that had been laid. Um, and I was planning to get a whole lot of bluestone crazy paving to, to renovate the front yard. But once I started pulling up the concrete, um, it was the perfect thickness just to use as as paving you know mm. it wasn't too heavy it was it was a good maybe maybe 2 inches thick but it came up in these perfect little size pavers basically as i was levering it up and sledgehammering it that i got the idea just to relay relay the the concrete paving but make it smaller yeah mm. and it and it looked fantastic um i've contributed a few articles to uh, gardendrum.com and there's there's one blog that i wrote uh as I was laying it, so it's kind of a how-to if you want to have a go at it at home. And um, I've, I've published something this year on the website as well in January, which was an update of, of the garden and how it was coming along kind of two years after I'd, I'd initially undertaken it. And um, it's, it's good to see how it's, how it's developed and how, how it's, you know, it's full of flowering perennials now and it looks gorgeous. And So what know. are you growing in the front garden? Because it's south-facing, isn't it? It is. It's south-facing, um, which, which means it gets no direct sun in the winter at all, which precludes growing spring bulbs, which is a real shame because mm. I'm a big fan. 
Um, but in the height of summer, it gets um, it gets baking full sun. See, so this, this is the really difficult thing, isn't it? Yeah, what do you grow that's right. that will take baking full sun mm. and then so, nothing? So I've, I've concentrated on on summer and autumn flowering perennials essentially. So the garden the garden quite extensively dies back to the ground in winter right. out, out the front. Um, but then come springtime, it, it erupts in a big way and um, is full of uh, is full of the full of Full of flowers. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. But yeah, a very tricky spot, as you say, Virginia. You know. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, someone who uh, I think knows quite well about um, shady gardens and cool climates up in the Blue Mountains, we have Celeste online. Good morning, Celeste. Good morning, Pam and Virginia and James. Look, I, I didn't want to keep you this morning, but I just wanted to give you some feedback. I rang a couple of weeks ago. Yes, I about, remember about the figs, yes. and I've just eaten my last of about forty-eight of them, which oh. was fantastic. oh, well, you've done well. They've been okay, and what I think is that the worm or the grub had got into damaged fruit. I don't think oh, right. they were in there, because the rest of them that were on the tree were completely clean. Oh, oh well, that's good to know. So that sort of makes sense, doesn't it? It does make a lot of sense. <laughs> I think I was panicking unnecessarily. And that's 48 figs. That's a lot of figs. Mm. For a small tree that's in a pot, that's... That's fabulous. You know, that's wonderful. Four years old. Yep, that's wonderful. It's happy, obviously. Yep. I, it's, it was interesting. Before Christmas, when I think I lost all the flowers on my quince, and I picked my one perfect quince yesterday, and that's all I've got. <laughs> but, and I've but you'll treasure that one perfect I will, quince. <laughs> I will. But um, I think at the same time, because I was away, it was early December, and a lot of the leaves fell off the fig. Right. And then I read later, that's not a bad strategy to allow the fruit to ripen, so I'll certainly do that next December. I'll take half of the leaves off and allow more sun into the fruit. Oh, of course. Okay. And, I think and, it worked. And being in the Blue Mountains, do, 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 does the frost affect the, the, the fig tree at all? Graham, we don't, down the road, yes, a little bit. They get frost, but we're in a sort of a sheltered spot. Right. I mean, it just depends on where your house is, yes. how much frost you get, and yes. we rarely get any. And I've got this huge pot against the wall of the house, which is a sort of brick-rendered wall facing west and, and sorry, not west, east and north. So no, no, no problem at all. So I'm and going to start being a bit adventurous with other things now. And your pot that you've got it in is—is—it's not a self-watering pot. No. No. I have okay. big tanks up here, and generally our rain situation isn't bad, although at the moment I'm praying it's just unbelievably dry. Mm. Um, but generally our rain isn't too bad, and because we built a new house five years ago, we had to put in tanks, which, you know, was a no-brainer anyhow. Yes. So we generally have enough water. Yes. Um, so I do water, and I have been watering over the last few days everything because it desperately needs it. Yeah, fair enough. I'm so pleased you didn't have a massive infestation on the fish. <laughs> I might have had to have written it up in nature or something. Yeah. No one else knew about it. <laughs> we were all scratching our heads. I know. Silly <laughs> me. Anyhow. No, all's well that ends well. And it's good to hear the end of the story, Celeste. <laughs> Thank you, Pam. Okay. Have a good uh, weekend, everyone. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. That number, as I mentioned, nine four one nine zero one double five. Virginia, there's a plant that we haven't mentioned yet. I was just thinking this plant would be possibly good for James. Mm. It, it, it is a, a cape primrose, no, cape honeysuckle. Tecomaria is its proper mm. name. And you often see it around as an orange plant, yes, a big scrambling orange. I've never seen a yellow form of it This before. is the yellow form. Mm. The yellow form is much shrubbier and not nearly as rampant right. as, the, as the orange one. 
And I think that I grew the orange one in exactly that position, somewhere mm. that was well sunny in summer mm-hmm. and completely shady in winter. Mm-hmm. And it survived. Yeah, okay. So this one might, because it's flowering now and keeps on flowering for a while yet. Yep. And it's, I mean, it is, a lot of those South African plants are just mm. so good for us. And I, I am trying to introduce a bit more yellow into the front garden because I went for a scheme of cool colours. Um, using, using hot colours in a small space can sometimes make it feel a bit overwhelming and, you know, a bit mm. claustrophobic, so... I've kept it. I've kept the colour palette very cool, but I'm I'm always looking for more little accents of yellow to bring into and, the front garden. And it garden. needs to be a very yellow. See, that's a very yellow yellow. Mm. And and if it's a yellow without a touch of orange or whatever in it, I think it sits with cool colours very very, very well. well. Yep, mm. I agree. And this one grows from sort of in South Africa, Swaziland, mm-hmm. Mozambique, but it seems to me to be very tough. How would you propagate it? I think. If I give you this, you'll find you'll be able to do it. Oh, okay, right. Mm. So very, very easily. It's, it's, yeah, it's big noniaceae, and I think, it, and, okay. and also look, there's some um, seeds coming as well. A bit of a seed pot well. on there too. Yeah. yeah. The other thing, James, is that if your front garden is is basically south facing, mm. um, if you have all cool colours, it can feel cold. Yeah. You yeah. need some highlights to just give it that 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 lift yep, and brighten absolutely. it, so that it's not. It, it can become depressing, mm. like if you go into a, a, a too shaded garden mm-hmm. with no sort of white for the dark areas or mm. highlights. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think going for a little bit of yellow to yep. mix in with that is just going to lift the whole thing, mm, absolutely. particularly in winter. And, and if that's winter flowering, perfect. Mm. And this Cape honeysuckle also seems to make a lot of the honey eaters very happy. Ah, Fantastic. Yeah, so that's great. also worthwhile. Mm. Um, Pam, it's a great time now for uh, taking cuttings. Mm. Uh, the most success we've ever had with rose cuttings is, is rose cuttings now mm-hmm. because we've got the, the, the um, you know, moisture in the air and um, they, never, they never seem to dry out. Okay. And um, people just got to be a bit patient, wait for them to start the shoot and the buds starting springtime. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Cuttings for most things is really good now. Yeah, I agree. And what, you're taking tip cuttings, are you? Um, what well, sort of cuttings are you taking? Well, once the flower finishes on the rose... The when you're deadhead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that wood just gets a bit harder. Right. And, of course, your biggest challenge with any cuttings is what you cut on the bottom. Yes. Because that's where the, the, the rot will start, where mm-hmm. if there's any fungus. Yeah. Yep. So um, the hardened wood after the flower's finished. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and and how long a cutting would you take? Oh, you can go back anything up to, um, uh, you know, in the old language, two inches, two, mm-hmm. two and a half inches, yeah, yeah. And what do you normally pot your cuttings into? Well, um, coconut fibre. Right. And coconut fibre is, is, is uh, sterile. Mm-hmm. And you can pick up blocks of that from, dare I say it, from Bunnings <laughs> and just um, some, some water <laughs> in it. And, yeah. and it's and, sustainable as well, which yeah. is great. And the trick is just never overwater them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Never overwater them mm. yep. at all. Okay. Do you cover them at all? No. 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 Oh, okay. You leave them just yes. just out. Yes. Really? Yeah. I, I've taken cuttings of roses <coughs> and uh, two to a pot, an eight-inch pot, and they're ready to sell in in um, November. Wow. They're a really good full top to the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, I was amazed at what um, success we've had there with mm-hmm. taking the. Um, you know, taking that advantage over, even over winter, and then because mm. that beautiful growth on in the spring, which will develop roots in the bottom of the pot. Yep. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. 
All right, we're going next to uh, Sharon, who's down in Cheltenham. Good morning, Sharon. Uh, good morning. Um, hearing um, you speak about the inkweed or the pokehood, mm. yeah, I, got, go on. I got excited and I thought, oh, that, now that'll be a plant that I saw outside the Brighton Library in December. It was a beautiful plant with these berries and I, I thought, oh, that'll be it. So I looked it up on the internet. I don't think it is. Um, I just wondered if anybody out there would know what it, it is. It, it, it was December that we took the photo. We took a photo of it, and its leaves were quite, going quite yellow mm. at the time. Um, I have seen it in the Botanic Gardens. It is around. Um, I think it is Phytolacca, if you want to look that up and see if it's got... The, which is P-H-Y-T-O-L-A-C-C-A. <laughs> Yes, I, I did look at that and I wasn't convinced it was that either. Okay. Um, Sharon, if you've got photos of the plant... Yeah, we have. Right. Um, if you like to email them... Email Ah, yes. Well, now, what's the email address? Well, if you send it to... Have you got paper and pencil? Yes. Okay. Um, all lowercase, Pam Vardy 3CR, that's the number three. Yes. At gmail.com. Okay. Now, if you can do that this week, uh, Stephen will be in next week as well, <coughs> and uh, we'll see if we can uh, go about giving you an ID on it. Okay, and of course someone might be listening out there that does know that... That, that, that knows the particular plant and, and, yes, knows what it is. Yeah. All right. It, it, the berry itself had like a bloom on it, a bit like a grape gets, you know, that sort of... Right. Yeah, which I thought was interesting, but it was most spectacular. Okay. All right. Well, I think this is spectacular, mm. which is why I've still got it growing. Yeah. yeah it's I, just... I thought, oh, that'll be it. I got quite excited. <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> no, I don't think so anyway. Okay. How high would the pokeweed grow? One thing I must say is there's quite a few different ones, oh. and so that's important. Mm. Um, mine would be about four or five foot. Okay, so it's probably taller than what this one looked like it was, that we saw looked like it was maximum height at about two foot six. Yes, but I do find that things I put into my red soil, Ah. so you're talking about a sandy soil, my red soil, (coughs) things do grow bigger. bigger. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) All right. I mean, you know, it's extraordinary sometimes my soil, I just stick things in. Like I just stick cuttings in, oh, I'm, I'm, and I just stick it in the soil and I come back a year later and suddenly I've got a great big plant that I didn't, uh, I'd forgotten about, you know. Yes. It's very sympathetic soil. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, look, thank you very much. Okay. Good Thanks. on you, Sharon. Bye-bye. Uh, we do, we are running through for about the next half an hour or so, just under, so if you would like to jump on the phone and give us a call, we'd love to hear from you. That number is 94190155. James, how's your front nature strip looking at the moment? It's looking really, really good, actually. Um, one of the things I've been doing is weeding my little heart out um, <laughs> because that's, despite the fact that <clears throat> we don't really have much of a weed problem in the summer because it is so hot and dry and I'm not irrigating the front, the front nature strip at all because it is, it is all... Indigenous grasses yes. and little herbs and forbs that I've planted, so everything has to fend for itself. 
Um, <clears throat> I've been I've been doing a lot of weeding to keep on top of the winter weeds, which are coming up in a in a huge number. Um, lots of uh, winter grass like Poa annua mm. and um, lots of uh, clover as well. Um, but as I've been going through and weeding the space, I've noticed that I've gotten really, really good recruitment from the species that I planted. Oh, good. As well. So they are going to be, um, you know, giving, Dominant. The weeds, giving the weeds a run for their money, hopefully. Yep, yeah. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the species of need wallaby grass that I planted, which is uh, Ostradanthonia geniculata, um, that's coming up in great numbers. Um, and the, the local species of flax, uh, linum marginale is, is coming up in oh, huge numbers as well. Um, I think I'm actually going to have to end up thinning them out because there are so many of them. Right. But, um, it's a really good example of, you know, growing local plants and, and how well adapted they are to the local environment. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, look, it's, it's looking really good. And I just installed a couple of, um, a couple of features in the garden last weekend, which I sowed yesterday. Um, I used the aluminium garden edging that you can that you can buy and and formed them into big rings, and I've sunk them into the ground, and they're going to be two areas um, that I'm going to grow kind of seasonal highlight things in. Okay, it, lovely idea. They're, they're going to be the only deviation from indigenous plants yes. that will be in the nature strip, but I've sowed a whole lot of um, common everlastings, the Western Australian species of Rodanthe, Rodanthe calicephala subspecies rosea, um, you sow them at this time of year. They grow over winter when rain is plentiful, so you don't you don't have to irrigate them at all. And then in springtime, they flower their little hearts out um, and look gorgeous. So I've done two two quite large metal rings in the front nature strip that I'm that I'm growing these common everlastings in. So okay, yeah, so wonderful. I'm looking forward to them flowering. Absolutely. Be quite what are your neighbours like? Maybe you could move some some of your flax down to the neighbours' <laughs> front. Spread, spread well, it along the along the street. Oh, yes. I have I have a I have a neighbour who I think is best politely described as curmudgeonly. Um, but uh, he was very, oh, what are you doing when I was, when I was planting out the nature strip? Um, and I said to him, well, look, if you leave it for a couple of years and if you like the look of it, then I'd be more than happy to, you know, do, do your nature strip as well and look after it for you. And my idea is maybe in, maybe in five years' time I'm going to have most of the people in the street um, allow me to, to plant out their front nature strip as well and, and make it a bit of a feature for our street. Um, because there, there are a couple of streets in um, Northcote around Westgarth Village um, that have planted out the entire nature strip. And you walk down those streets and it's just magnificent. They're fantastic, it aren't is they? absolutely yes. brilliant. I've I walked along a couple of them and they're it. amazing. Yeah, just brilliant. Yeah. And, really, really and more good. than anything, it actually <laughs> will do something for, for the wildlife. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yes, yeah, it provides a corridor. Which, whereas, a, you know, a bit of dead grass mm. gets mowed mm. isn't providing anything for anybody but of mm. course the other thing is that it's automatically um a talking point you're meeting your neighbors and, right. and and if you can get them actually planting and helping you so mm. that it's not just you doing all the work yeah. um you know if they've got kids the kids can get involved i mean it, it really is creating community mm. Mm. well if you start to work with front nature strips after working in a municipal area for 28 years don't be hoodwinked by the municipal um, bureaucrats no. plant it out <coughs> and if there, there's ever arising any, any controversy about um, services un, under, under, the, um, under the nature strip which mm-hmm. we planted out in Kilmore mm-hmm. 
We just simply said, well, if the water main blows up, once you've fixed up the water main, we'll just put the plants back in again and yeah. they'll be hunky-dory. There'll easy. be no worries yeah, about it at That's all. right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I live in one of the better uh, municipalities for gardening on the nature strip in Darabin. Um, they've, they've got very good guidelines, actually. They've, yes. got, they've got great information um, on their website for people. Mm-hmm. And their approach to it is as long as you stay within the guidelines, which are very easy to follow, then you don't have to apply for a permit yeah. or, or anything. Which um, is really sensible. I think mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. Yes, and so that's some, about some height and visibility. Isn't absolutely, it is. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, so well, well, if you think of it from a bureaucrat's point of view, if you, if you as a, a citizen go and ask mm. about it, he's got to say no. Yeah, that's because right. he then is feels like he's implicated if something does happen. So just don't ask. Mm, just that's do the it. best thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we do know Sorry. a couple of listeners that have come to grief doing <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, right. <laughs> and they've been forced to then <laughs> rip out all their hard work. So yeah, um, it depends. Yeah. A lot on the council. It was a big issue in Brisbane late last year. Actually, yes. there was there was a lady who had had a nature strip garden for years and years, and yes. all of a sudden she got a bill from the council, I think, for forty thousand dollars to yes. to have it removed. Yes. Yeah, and and she, you know, she was quite incredulous um, about it, as you can imagine. Um, but then Jerry Colby Williams was contracted by the council to to be the writer of the guidelines for nature strip gardens, and it's become yes. quite a thing, right? You know, up there now. And what happened you know, to her? I think um, I think the council rolled over and, mm. and said, "Oh, you that's know, outrageous." It has been well, there for twenty years. Well, the real moral of the story for listeners is that is that um, make some inquiries in other places where they've been doing it, yep. and and if there is anything happens, build up your own case anyway. Mm. Yeah, mm. you know, in, in, even in Holland, mm. they were they were putting olive trees in nature strips and even in huge pots, mm. like. Big planter boxes, mm-hmm. and these were featured along different different um, nature strips. In people's people f- sponsored them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they actually bonsai the the olive trees. Yeah, great, a- and which was really grass, mm. fantastic, beautiful, yep. yeah, excellent. <laughs> okay, we're going next to uh, Ken in Sunshine. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. And you know all about building community, don't you, Ken? Oh, well, I was just about to say something, and I live in a fantastic community, and um, when they're going to put, a, put the, the... We've heard of the east part of the, the freeway, where they're going to put it here, and I called a meeting in the middle of winter. There was 800 houses that were going to mow down. Right. And we saved our houses, and they shifted the freeway a kilometre. Yep, good on you. And so, But it wasn't just me, it was the whole community. Yep, yep. But what I wanted to ring up about, I don't know whether you know it, I was listening on the news yesterday. In Queensland, they've got big problems. Do you know all our fauna is on the danger list? Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm. I saw that. That is absolutely appalling. Ringing up. <laughs> well, I hear everyone. I know it's absolutely hot. It's, 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 it's criminal. Mm. And um, it's, criminal, it's, it's crimes against humanity. But anyway, I'm just pushing you again. <laughs> We should plant with the indigenous to your, to your area. Mm. Got an easement out the back of my place. I planted 30 trees that are native to the western suburbs and shrubs in mm. the garden. So that's what we should be doing because mm. otherwise we're going to be in trouble. Mm. And we should be kicking up about this. And I mean, what's happening in Victoria? And I hope the same thing's not, hap- ha- not happening. Mm. So anyway, you've got a fantastic garden, Joe. <laughs> and... Um, Keep it up, thank you. Cheers, Good on Ken. you, Ken. Well, Cheers. Bye. Bye. Um, 
on that issue, I, what I what I would say it's it's really important that people do research on what they do plant, especially with trees. Yeah. And I, I, after going through the exercise of the of the bushfires, mm-hmm. um, we do have a, a a big danger of bushfires in the suburbs of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Look what's happened in Canada now. Mm-hmm. You know? yes, absolutely. Um, and nurserymen also have a huge responsibility to to label plants properly, especially native trees. Mm-hmm. They really do. Mm. Yeah, I, I believe that's a, a, a big issue. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, next we have uh, Jill in East Brighton. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, everyone. Um, yes, look, I just a couple of questions. One is um, my Vietnamese mint. I have got uh, uh, in, two, uh, in a large self-watering pot. Right. Where it's done really, really well for quite some time. Yep. Um, and I've got one here and one at our beach house at Dramana. And they're both dying off. Like, And I've not had that happen before. You know, we haven't had any cold weather. Mm. I'm thinking, is it just that they've run out of soil and I urgently need to repot? Or is, uh, you know, I was looking at the Vietnamese mint in, in Heronswood, which is, you know, about two metres high and looking, you know, perfectly fine, um, you know, at the moment. And yet, you know, mine's basically looking dead. Um, you it's, know, and it's just the leaves have died off all, all up the stems. And, yeah, it's uh, such an I'm, easy thing to to just root in water. Yes. Why don't yes. you just start? And I but think I just wondered you, what's what's gone wrong with the pots. I, I've been away, but I had a wonderful uh, friend who was watering and has done a great job. So I'm, I don't think anything went wrong there. The first thing I'd say is the most likely thing to affect a Vietnamese wind is lack of water. Mm. And you're yes, very wise to have them in pots because they are very, very weedy. Mm. If they get into the waterways, yeah. mm. they yes. just take over. But well, that's but why I've got them in self-watering pots mm. so that they don't run out of water easily. And, you know, uh, they started to look a bit, bit thick. And so I was really keeping the water up to them and it made no difference whatsoever. Yeah. Jill, I had exactly the same thing happen to me and it's happened twice now and I've got my Vietnamese mint in a self-watering pot too. And I found that um, I could keep it going beautifully, lushly for about three or four years and then for some reason it would just um, curl up its toes. Right, yes, I haven't had these that long, but yes, okay, so maybe just just Uh, start again. I, I think just go again. So while you've still got some there... Um, take some cuttings, pop them, as Virginia said, into a glass of water or something until yes. they root. Get some and, roots going. Yeah, and then turf out the old one, get some fresh potting mix and start over again. And there's no reason to think they're not a, short, a fairly short-lived plant, I would have thought. Yep. Mm. Yes, yes, that's true too. Yes, all right, look, thank you very much for that. And the other one I was going to ask you about is um, my mother used to have a variegated purple-flowered honesty. I'm mm. very... I was very careful to give the description of the plant, so I didn't say. I said to the, off, the lady offline, "Oh, and the other question I've got is about honesty," and she said, "Oh," <laughs> and I didn't want you thinking I was questioning yours. Thinking <laughs> anyway, you called the wrong show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The problem caller. Yes. Anyway, um, yes, I, <clears throat> my brother. And I had both, both of us had lost his. He's got, he's got a garden up at Callista. Then just three little, rather weedy little plants came up in his garden in Callista and he's collected the seed. And I was just wanting to know when to sow it. I have actually sowed some in a seed tray a couple of weeks ago, only part of it, and it hasn't, hasn't, um, germinated. I just laid it on the top of the soil and kept it moist. Um, but 
is that the right time? I I would have thought autumn would have been the right time for it being an annual, but um, I would have thought so. It's it's often biennial too. Um, yes, yes. And and of course, once you get it going, it should just seed itself. Mm. Yes, yes. Well, it, it did for many years, and then and then uh, I think during the drought we both lost it. Yes, of course. Uh, and that's pay. the other thing. I would make sure that it doesn't get north wind that it doesn't get too much sun, maybe eastern morning sun. Yes, I've got a spot sort of picked out for it, but I thought I'd try it on the seed tray just to make sure that I didn't waste the seed, mm. seeing it's a limited amount. Yes, um, absolutely. And, um, but do you think that I, I just should be a bit more patient? I think I did it about a fortnight ago, and I can still see the seeds just sitting there on the top of the soil. They haven't, don't seem to be rotten or anything. Or, but uh, uh, What about covering them just a little bit with a bit of... Um Seed raising mix, you know, so they're just slightly, slightly covered. more in contact yes. with soil all round. Yeah, yeah, just to give it. Yeah, okay. Yes, I'll, I'll, um, I'll get. I think from... I've, I think I've got some honesty in my garden. I'll, I'll have a look and see if it's still there. And if it is, I'm quite happy to provide you with some more seed too. Is, is that the variegated purple flowered one though? Uh, the one I have got the white flowered, uh, or you know, evergreen, not evergreen, but all green one. This one was a bit special. That yes, no, I don't think mine's that variegated. Mum used to grow, and that's, it's it is purple. Support, being being variegated leaf too, I guess it's less vigorous than the uh, yes. the usual one. Quite. Uh, yes. So so I yes I have got that one. Thanks very much. So well, <laughs> we'll just keep an eye out because it's the sort of thing we should find in somebody's garden. So if somebody's got a variegated honesty, we'll yes, yes, see if they can be... send us some seed to give to you. Well, thank you. Yes, well, I've still got some left over, but I, was, I just thought I'd ring and say, is, have I planted it at the right time, do you think? Or should I, with the seed that I've not planted yet, should I perhaps wait another month and then give it a go? No, I would do it now because, I, I mean, when we were talking, James and I were talking before, you, you, fresh seed, mm. yep. especially yep. if you don't know, mm. fresh seed always has to be the way to go. Yes. With something like honesty as well, it's it, you, you could sow it at any time of year and it's going to germinate when it wants to, essentially. It is the kind of thing that spreads itself very generously around gardens that it's grown in. So yeah. um, if you know, even if you have sown it at the wrong time of year, I'd just be patient and it will come up when it wants to, essentially. Yes. You know, I, I, I think... might just throw the rest where I, I plan to, plan to uh, grow it. And, and Yeah, absolutely. And keep my fingers crossed because, yes, as, as I said, it's just kind of like a bit of an heirloom from, yes. from my, my well, mum. Yeah. Uh, Mm. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Bye. Okay. All the best. Thanks. Bye. And uh, next online we have Jeff in Ashburton. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, all of you. Thank you for your gardening show. I really like listening on Sunday mornings. Great. Um, I'm ringing because my wife uh, coordinates or has organised. We have a food forest in Ashburton that started uh, three or four years ago. Wonderful. And uh, it's supported by the council, so it's basically... <laughs> and they're going to have the second stage of it. They've had, uh, got themselves a picnic shelter built now, and uh, the second stage plantings are going to be next weekend and then the weekend following. So if people want to come and plant a tree and both stay for a short time or a long time, uh, anyone who comes and volunteers, they, she's going to have a signed map of all the trees in the food forest, and it's got all the under... Uh, supporting all those perennials and other things that support things like that. It's not a veggie garden. No. In, in an open parkland near Gardner's Creek, uh, below Solway Primary School. But if people want to find out more about it, um, there's a WordPress uh, website, which is uh, Food Forest Ashy, all one word. Ashy is with, with a Y. Right. Dot, dot WordPress, one word, dot com. 
Okay. So what time next weekend? Uh, that starts from 9 and goes till 4. There's a shared lunch from 12 to 1. You bring things like hats, gloves, firm shoes if it's raining, like it happens to be slightly this morning, a raincoat. Yep. Lunch to share. Uh, water's available on site. Uh, anyone, shovel, wheelbarrows, picks, mattocks, and obviously other people will bring those things. So there's a, an email is foodforestashy at gmail.com. Okay, and can you give us the exact address? Uh, the exact address is 38 Winton Road, W-I-N-T-O-N Road, Ashburton. And if they just do a Google on Winton Road Food Forest, that'll find it anyway. And, right. And there's, a, there's actually a, a Facebook website for it as well. Fantastic. Okay, well, thanks for letting us know about it. The main thing is, you know, get in contact uh, with Petra, uh, some sometime during the week to say you're likely to turn up or just turn up on the day because it's an opportunity to network with people who care about these things. Absolutely. And it's the only one of its kind in the whole of Burundara. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well done, we you. Want, we want one in several in every suburb, thanks. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm all for that one. Okay, good on you, Jeff. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And uh, next we have Julian, who's in Thomastown. Good morning, Julian. Yes, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Okay, look, I got three trees. I'm going to tell you one. One Fijola. Yes. One Pessiman. Yes. And Locust. Okay. Right. I want to know each one, what sort of manure they take, if it's acid or uh, alkaline. Uh, we'll start with the Fijola. What they take, uh, manure. My my guess with all of them would be acid, and I would think that the locust didn't need a lot. Mm. Because need a lot. Sorry, need a lot what? The what? locust won't need much. Oh, I see. Okay, I got you. Okay. But, but what do you give them, acid or alkaline? I I'd give acid, yeah. Mm. I, I actually don't think I'd worry about either. I think that yeah. p- p- the persimmon will want some food, whereas the locust I don't think will. Yes, all right, yeah, but well, the persimmon take what, the acid or... Oh, look, I don't think it. I don't think it's that fussy, to be honest. No, um, no. no, no. Well, I'll and if you you've got, if, if you've actually got compost. No, I got uh, rabbit rabbit manure. Is that good? Rabbit manure. Yeah, mm. I can't see yes. that wouldn't be a problem. Mm. Or good, good, you know, aged cow manure would be perfect. Yeah, that's same Fruit thing. trees love it. That same thing, acid. Yeah. Uh, but what I meant to say, how, how do you can tell which one to give, which one to don't? You know, I don't know, it's, it's, it's confusing to me. See, I'm guessing on the locust. I'm thinking of my childhood. I spent a lot of time on the other side of the divide and there were always locust trees there and the soil's not particularly rich and they were everywhere. So I think that they'll survive quite well in a hot... Yeah, yes, I know that because from my country we got them too, but yeah. we, yeah. never, we never look after them. Yeah, no, that's exactly. right. And, yeah. and you still see them in old gardens and they survive beautifully mm. what, with absolutely no care at all. Yeah. So that's why they don't need much. And yeah. I can't think that the Fajoa needs a hell of a lot because it's a real survival. It's incredibly hardy as well. So, again, you don't need to worry too much. You know, you know, you, you got time. You know what yeah. I did to the, uh, to the Fajoa? No, you what? know those fruit boxes, the the white one. Yeah. Yes. I put some manure on there. Right. And I put some bit of long clipping. Yeah. I, I cover it because the birds goes, you know, goes in it. Yep. And I water from there. I water it to to the box. Okay. Into the ground. And okay. I, 
And I tell you what, this year I got bloody full full bottle full bottle of uh, fajola. Right, well done. <laughs> and they good size too. Yep, yep, that's excellent. Yeah, they do like a, they do like some water. They yeah. are the, all three of them are incredibly tough trees. They um, are, yeah, yeah. So you know they they'll 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 give you a good crop on utter neglect. They um, do. So. Yeah, since I, since I done that, it's really doing improving a lot. Mm. Excellent. Okay, I'll let you go. Okay, then. Happy Mother's Day again. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> okay, we uh, we do have to finish up uh, soon. We're, we're finishing at 9.15, but if someone wants to quickly jump on the phone, we can take probably one more call. You were looking up something there, Virginia? I was just looking up the persimmon because I find that the persimmon struggles a little bit at my place. Mm, right. Um, Soil's too good. I doubt it. I think, one, I've got it in the grass. Right, okay. And I have found with all my trees, except the ones that are, you know, 30 foot high. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't like competition. That, that competition of the grass yep. is, and, I, and it's fairly new, and then I think it doesn't really, although this doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't really like the hot summers. Mm. Maybe it's a hot north wind. I suspect it's more the wind, which is why they do so really well against, say, a brick wall or something where they're getting that, that reflected heat. Mm. But um, I suspect the wind would mm. um, knock them about a bit. Yeah, because um, it's, it's funny. It's, it is always my thought when I'm planting, will this take a north wind? It's, rather than will this take the sun, mm. Yes, it's that hot it's the wind that can do the damage. Because, yeah. yeah. of course, I'm on top of the hill, so when it comes... <coughs> It comes with force. Mm. 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 It's such a handsome tree as well, even if you're not going to eat the fruit. I oh. think it's just beautiful, beautiful tree, the person. Oh, and it's they're, one of my favourites. And they're wonderful when the fruit is just hanging. It's mm. No leaves. No leaves. just the hanging fruit. Mm. It's just... It's yes. There was an absolutely fabulous one in Camberwell, which for years I used to watch, and then they took it out. And I thought, oh, Why oh no. Oh. <laughs> yes. Because it was so beautiful at this time of year. Yep. Just yep. The, those big pieces of fruit mm. just hanging. And it's probably a good case when you start to talk, think about the gentleman's question re- regarding manure. It would be better to use compost mm. on all three of them because you're going to work with the soil microbes and it's a natural thing, whereas manures can be, can be you know, really quite harsh. Mm. And the same thing happens with roses too. Uh, you know, it, it'll send that soft, soft growth up, whereas compost will give you that good sturdy mm. growth. Mm. I think if your manure is well-aged, I can't mm. see yeah. a problem yeah. though. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, worms love a bit of cow manure. They're very happy yeah, with I, that yeah. environment. Yeah, yeah. 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 We, while we've quickly got time, Virginia... Plant trusts, listeners. You're, I know you're heavily involved with the group, and um, we we must talk about it at length a bit more um, sometime. But you you've become quite an active group recently, haven't you? We just had a trip to Beechworth. There was about 15 of us, and we went up to Beechworth specifically to look at trees. And it was we went up last weekend, and it was absolutely lovely because, of course, the cold we'd spent. Time in Beechworth and time in Stanley. And one of the gardens we went to, um, we said, How, I mean, Stanley, whoever's even heard of Stanley? Mm. It's got these, mm. We met these three wonderful people. How did they all end up there? And, and Jenny Indian said, oh, well, we came here because it's wet. Mm. That's the only reason they moved there. And, of course, now with the change in the, in the climate, it's really standing them in good stead. Mm. And so we were looking at oak trees, just beautiful trees, persimmons, mm. oak trees, beautiful oak trees. And why trees. did you go to have a look at trees? Because it's autumn. 
Okay. We were looking, we were looking at the trees to, mm. as they move into yes. losing their leaves. And it was, yes. oh, it was a wonderful weekend. And yes, Plant Trust is doing uh, a lot more. We've even just put um, a Facebook page up, mm. Plant Trust. And, and, and we should explain to listeners, Plant Trust is all about um, collections and preserving. What, what we're concerned about is that people are very worried about wild plants, but of course what happens is that domestic plants disappear mm. and disappear forever. And so we encourage people to actually have a collection of a particular genus and just have, have a great. species. Or, and, and obviously um, in, with some of the bigger ones, you can't have them all because your climate won't take... But, it, but to have them, to name them, to, and to just be part of preserving those, those garden plants. Mm. A lot of the botanic gardens have got collections. Stephen's got three, although one of them he cheated. He took something that's only got two in the species. <laughs> so, that he could so what genera is he He's doing... Um, he's, he's got uh, canners. Canners. Um, he's got the um, dogwoods. And, and uh, no, he's, oh, he's Sambuca, Sambuca, mm. um, and he's he's about. To, and I think I don't think he's got the canners. He's trying to encourage someone to do the canners. Oh, right. mm. Stephen okay. is president of of Plant Trust. Oh, okay. It used to be called Garden Plants Conservation Association of Australia. OPCAA. So That's it's very very concerned with. <laughs> That's pres- why they changed the name, <laughs> Plant Trust, and it grew out originally from England, right. and there's now a good one in Germany, a good one in France, a good one in America, us, mm-hmm. New Zealand, and it is very much. And of course, in Australia, it's a huge problem because it's so difficult to bring anything in, mm. so that we can have things just completely disappear. Mm. Mm. And you know, there are roses bred in Australia in the 30s, mm. and they've just disappeared. You I mean, it's like I, it's like people say, "Oh gosh, do you remember? You know, in." Mm. In Grandma's garden, we used to mm. have this particular plant. Nobody's growing it anymore. I can't mm. find, find it anymore. It, yes. And you can have whole species just completely disappear, uh, purely because they're out of fashion. fashion. Mm. Um, Heritage Roses Australia are making a big effort to retain yes, those old exactly. varieties of roses. Exactly. And we, we need them for, for, for breeding programs as well. It's of important course. for that. Yeah, really Very important. important. Yes, well, of course, John Newdstieg is on our, on our committee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, very interested, of course, in roses. Yeah. But mm. uh, there's just so many plants that will just disappear if we don't have some mm. sort of care for them. Mm. We shot a story with a with a lady up in Queensland, Barb Wicks, um, who has a, a subtropical um, cottage garden, essentially. I um, saw that. That was gorgeous fabulous. story. But one of the plants that she's growing, um, and you know, you can't buy it in a nursery. The only reason she has it is because they have a very active um, group. Uh, gardening group that share seed. Um, it's Ceratothica triloba. But it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, it's it's a much more kind of open looking foxglove kind of kind of plant kind of flower. But but yes, what perp- is it? Was the South American foxglove or something? It's South it? African. South African. Yeah, foxglove, but absolutely yes. absolutely gorgeous. Mm. You know, mm. and and perfectly suited to a subtropical climate where mm. you know you can't grow foxgloves. But mm. Ceratothica looks fantastic and grows beautifully. Yeah. Graham, there's something you quickly wanted to mention before we go. If people are looking for bare-rooted roses, they can contact us on rosesalesonline.com.au. And that, if they're lo- looking for different roses or rarer roses, make contact with us. Okay, because now's the time. Yep. Yep. All right, we've run out of time for yet another week. Um, of course, we will be back next Sunday morning at 7.30. But until then, bye for now. <laughs> 